Well, hey, everybody. Good to see you all. Happy to be here. Um, today, we're finishing up a series. This is week six. So we're going to wrap it up, which means we got a little bit of a review, but I'll go through it quick. But if you're going, wait, I don't understand all that. Or I don't know all those details. You can always go back. You can just, you know, go five, six weeks ago online and you could go listen to either the sermons or the overtime podcast that happened on Tuesday. And then we keep them all week long. And just want to remind you of that is that if you ever have any questions about this, any questions about anything going on, any questions about the sermon material, as you kind of sit here and go, oh, I would like to know more about that. You can always write in the back of the bulletin if you're here that question and drop it in the offering baskets on the way out, or you can text us at 610-869-2140, email us at overtime at clcfamily.church, and we'll be happy, happy, happy to cover those each and every week. And so let me just kind of catch up to speed real quick. We are in week six of a sermon series called Sense, or the official Sense Study Guide. And so what we've been looking at is this preparation for actually being sent on mission, right? So Jesus is about to change the world, and as he's about to change the world, he's going to take these 12 ragamuffins. They are some broken, messy people, and he's going to use them kind of as an ignition switch, right? Like that he's going to ignite, and all of a sudden the world's going to completely change, and this is why this is important. What I've kind of been explaining to you the last several weeks is uh, kind of here's what's been happening in our culture, and this is just how cultures work, and how things work, and how change happens, and um, read through history for, you know, millennia. Um, what seems to happen, and I think it's happening here right now, is that change happens in this kind of, this slow creep, right? Cumulative effect, right? Uh, little by little, day by day, things just kind of move at a slow pace, right? Like, that's how if you gain half a pound a month, uh, for a year you gain six pounds, not a big deal, but you skip ahead a decade, you're 60 pounds overweight, right? And so that's just little by little, day by day. I tell you this all the time. No one, when they're little during the, when I grow up, I want to be kind of announcement at school says, I want to be a guy who stands on the street corner outside of a school and sells crack cocaine. There's not anybody dreaming about that at five or six, right? And yet we know that that actually happens for people. Well, how does that happen? Little by little, day by day, this these slow movements. But that's not exactly the only way change happens. It's little by little, day by day, and then, so a slow creep, and then a massive plunge, right? And so if you imagine it like hikers, it's just little by little, day by day. And the problem with all this is when you get to the edge, you have no more room to go. And so finally, what we're seeing, I think, in our culture, and we can see it for the last 2,000 years, a lot of interesting culture that I want to kind of point out today, that it certainly seems for a lot of us like we're on this free fall. Like we don't, we're, uh, we're not even sure the definitions of words anymore. We're not really sure that we can really put in our hope in, and we have at times into politicians or to policies or legislation, right? Or thinking that maybe the next thing will be the thing, and it just feels a little bit chaotic. And it doesn't matter which, you know, political leaning you have, whether you're red or blue, you all would go, hey, there's something kind of interesting about all these things. And so um, as we think about that, if this is how change happens, and we're in this free fall, right? This is why we've been teaching through the series in Luke. So we, this is week 38, and Luke was a doctor turned investigative journalist hired by a guy named Theophilus, who, by the way, started to see some crazy things happening 2,000 years ago, right? This slow creep, the Roman Empire comes in, and little by little changes things until everything has changed. And Theophilus probably is a Roman official who each and every day had to say, Caesar is Lord. Now, he was, he was affluent, he had influence, and he was like us. Know that no human being, uh, no person is uh, divine. 
And so, but he had to make some decisions about whether or not he wanted to continue to make these statements in his mouth, watch what's happening in their culture, be broken and messy. And I'm losing some stuff, sorry guys. Broken and messy. And so what he does, true story, he hires Luke to go and investigate this guy named Jesus. And the reason he he hires him is because Jesus has, at this point, came and said, you've never been able to put your hope in a human being, but you can now. Because you can put your hope in me. And this is what he says, because he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He literally called himself the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then people murder him for it, both political and religious leaders. Murder him for it. And then something crazy happens. There's these um, people that after his death and resurrection start speaking about Jesus coming back to life. And then they're going into nations and, you know, unreached places and declaring the good news of this. And there's this massive movement happen. And Theophilus wants to know whether or not that massive movement is true, whether or not he should put his hope in it. So he hires the most brilliant guy he can find, Luke, doctor, scientist, educated, good researcher, to go and research the claims of Jesus' life. Right? So they go, and he says that he writes all these things so that you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. And so when you're in a free fall, your first step in getting out of it is to cling to something. Right? You know this. This is, this is practical. If you're falling down a cliff, you, your first step is to find something that can literally hold you, right? That you can cling to. And so 37 weeks ago, looking at our world and brokenness and looking at COVID and all sorts of complications and watching people in the church get mad at each other for different beliefs and different viewpoints, both politically and, you know, like even with masks in these moments going, it just certainly seems to be a chaotic thing. So what do you do in the middle of chaos? Well, the first thing you do is you find something to cling to. You find clarity and certainty. And so first step in this is actually clinging to that which we know is true which is jesus so luke says i write these things so that you can be certain cling to something about the things that you've been taught now when luke says that in luke chapter 1 verse 4 a gospel biography about jesus's life what he's talking about is what jesus taught about and what jesus taught about just stay there buddy there you go jesus taught about was the kingdom of god 92 times in the four gospels matthew mark luke and john those are all biographies of jesus's life the, word, the, the, the statement kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is mentioned. And they're kind of interchangeable. And so this is so crazy but so important. When Jesus came to teach us, he didn't come to first and foremost like, get you to behave better. right? He knew you couldn't do that. He didn't come to just, you know, uh, fix your broken political system. He didn't come to even get you to ask him into you, your heart. right? didn't get you to pray some sinner's prayer. When Jesus showed up and started teaching, all of his teaching was about this, the kingdom of God. And what he tells us is the way by which you access the kingdom of God is through faith, faith, believing and obeying, even when your senses tell you otherwise. Faith is believing and obeying even uh, when, when you, you doubt, right? And so Jesus came to talk about this faith and not just any kind of faith, not like the faith I'm showing right now as I sit in this chair, putting my hope in this chair, but faith specifically in him. In other words, the way by which you get into the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is actually through Jesus. It's through Jesus, right? And so this is so profound and so important. What Luke wants you to know, definitely what I want you to know today, is that kingdom is available to you today. Today. Not sometime later, not sometime in the near in the near future. That that kingdom is available to you now. Not when you die not when you get beamed up in the heaven, that Jesus is telling us that we get access to the kingdom 
today. And so Jesus ha- has been teaching, preparing these 12 disciples to get this. And what he's doing is, he's, if, if the way by which change happens is a little creep and then a massive plunge, then it makes sense that the way by which you reverse that change is little, little steps, little by little, and then a massive launch. Meaning, is it possible that maybe, maybe the way by which everything changes is little by little, day by day, and then an ignition button just happens, right? If that's the case, and let's figure out how that works. So he's taking these, these 12 disciples. He's spent about 18 months with them, and he's been teaching them, taking object lessons, working every single day as they're kind of observing, and he's bringing dead people back to life, making lame people walk, blind people see, and he's teaching in this really interesting parables. In fact, when we started the series as Luke chapter 8, we learned about this parable of the kind of the parable of the sower. And what we realize there is Jesus is going, the way by which you access the kingdom of God is through faith. But let me tell you what faith is like. Faith happens when the word of God goes out. And he refers to it and tells us in the parable that it's like a seed. And when the seed goes out through the word of God, as we teach and speak, as those things happen, what ends up happening is that little seed gets planted. And depending on how your heart receives it, and he explains these different type of soils, the rocky and the weedy, and the hard, right? And he's going, hey, the seed is like your heart. And the, uh, I mean, the, the, the soil is like your heart. And the seed is the word of God. And depending on how you receive that determines how the kingdom of God grows in you. And this is so, so important. Because what we understand in that analogy and so many other analogies, that it starts in this tiny, little, bitty seed. Like here's so, so important, not the point of the day, but so important, that God is always doing something big in your life and in our world. He is doing something big in our church right now. He's doing something big in your family right now. He's doing something in our nation, in our community right now. But even when it seems like he might be doing something small, like a little seed, he's actually doing something pretty big. Even if you can't see the evidence or the fruit from it in the moment, that's where he's at work. And that's why it's, why it's so important, like when you think about like how things grow, that you kind of picture the whole thing in a time-lapse video. You've seen them. You can imagine them. I'm not going to show them to you on screen, but you've seen them. You can imagine them. These, these time-lapse videos which show this little seed going into the water, and you see the sun go up and down, sun go up and down. And little by little, you start to see this little thing sprout. And it kind of comes up. And it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? And this is really important. Because as you think about what that seed is doing, it's actually defying and fighting against gravity. The strength from the roots and the soil and the nourishment is actually allowing this thing to sprout forth, even when it doesn't seem like it should. You know it, like in a, in a, in a sidewalk or an asphalt. <laughs> There's no reason anything should grow there, but it just does. A little bit of water, a little bit of nourishment, right? Some soil underneath as it kind, kind of bursts forth little by little, day by day, but all of those things, right? Start small. A lot of them turn into big oak trees. Big oak trees started as little acorns. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, Jesus uses this seed analogy to help us see how it grows, right? How the kingdom of God can grow in you. And here's the big idea today, right? In order for God to allow the kingdom of God to take, like that kingdom coming to you, before God wants to take new territory through you, right? In your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, before God wants to use you to get the kingdom of God to those places. Before God takes new territory through you, he always, and when that word shows up, that's a pretty significant word. I don't, wouldn't recommend you using the word always in your arguments with your spouse, right? But he always, always wants to take new territory in you 
before he takes new territory through you. So how does he do that? Word of God goes out. I get a little bitty seed. And what we learned about is the way that the kingdom of God actually happens. And it seems strange. It starts when we hear about it, right? Faith comes from hearing is what Romans tells us. And hearing comes from the words of Christ. And so first you hear about it. And then you start to think about it, right? That word metanoia, it's literally the, the Greek word for repentance. It literally means to change the way you think. So as you hear about it, you start to think about it. Not just with your mind and not just with your body, but with your soul, you start to think about it. And as you start to think about it, then what happens is you start to speak about it, right? We speak the name of Jesus. And as you start to speak about it, this is so crazy. You actually bring about it. And see, this is where it gets weird. You're going, ah, that's kind of strange. I'm like, I feel strange. But as I read the scriptures, hear me. For those of you who walk with the Lord, believe that Jesus is Lord, and believe the scriptures to be true. As I read the scriptures, this is how the kingdom of God is ushered in. We hear about it. We think about it. We speak about it. And we bring about it, right? And so first, God wants to speak it into you. He wants to take new territory in you. And then, 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 he wants you to speak it over our world, speak it over your family, speak it over your life, speak it over your neighbors, speak it over your workplace as he brings about it. And then we started to see Jesus actually do those things. We saw him with, um, uh, with the disciples as they were traveling uh, in the, over the Sea of Galilee to this pagan country, Decapolis. And while he, uh, they were traveling, this massive storm pops up, right? Massive storm pops up. And they freak out and they're going, oh no, we're gonna, gonna die. They were, they were without options. And they go and they wake up Jesus. And he wakes up. And he does something weird. He speaks. And this is what he says. Peace, be still. And we saw that the Lord is the Lord of the, the natural, right? Like he oversees all things. And how does he bring peace to the situation? He speaks it. He speaks peace. We saw that God and Jesus is Lord over all things. Lord of the rain, meaning he knows it's out there. And he wanted it to be here today right and so we saw that jesus is lord of those things and then we saw jesus go and interact with this this demonic person really demons and so what we learned about and saw is like you know it's we talk a lot in our world about the mind right and the body right so how when those things get broken in our world the mind what do we do we offer it new principles we give our mind new understanding new knowledge new ways to live right and if that's not enough then we go into the body right when your body's broken what do you do you get you know rehabilitation restoration and medicine and so much of what's going on in our world in this free fall is that we're doing a lot of work trying to fix the mind doing a lot of work trying to fix the body and i'm not saying those aren't important they're super important we got to change the way we think we got to add new principles to it and if our body is broken we need to help make it well we need to come into that right but what's going on in our world i certainly think is that we're trying to do all this work to fix the mind and fix the body. But what we're leaving out is actually where we're the most, the most pain and the most sorrow. And it's our soul, right? Like you even read President Biden's kind of approach to trying to get our nation back. Again, not making any political statements. And he says the battle is for the soul of a nation. And that may very well be true. But the way by which you deal with the soul of the nation is not more policies, not more procedures, not more legislation. And we saw a guy whose soul was tormented. And Jesus comes in and he speaks. And he sends the, 
this, this demonic evil spirits out of this guy and he brings him wellness and wholeness not by giving him new principles not by giving him new medicine but by speaking peace into his soul he took new territory in this guy it was so strange as as it all gets wrapped up this guy they, they asked jesus to leave right they don't understand what's going on but that's cre- creepy whatever they saw and they go hey we don't want any more of that in in our place and so they ask him to leave and jesus because he's a respecter of boundaries hops in his boat and leaves and this guy he runs and he goes hey hey take me with you take me with you and jesus goes no 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 no. you go back to your town you've heard about this you've allowed me as you think about this, even when through your soul, you've allowed transformation to happen. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your home and tell the story of what I did for you. We're going to see Jesus show back up there in a little while, and he's going to now feed 4,000 men, then women and children in this town that months earlier he's asked to leave. Why? Because his soul was transformed. There was real fruit in the evidence of who he's become, new territory in him. And then all of a sudden he starts to speak this. And all these people going, I know what you are. I know how you behaved. I know what you look like. And if that's the case, if that's the evidence, I'm interested in the man who spoke that into you. Right? So he's going to come back. And then, uh, then last week we saw this really interesting story of Jesus not just being the, you know, the, uh, the Lord over the natural and the Lord over the demonic. He literally is the Lord over suffering and pain and death. And we saw him speak to this lady who had 12 years of a blood disorder. And she, she grabbed onto him. And in that moment as she grabbed onto him, he said, I know someone touched me because power power left me right and so what we saw is we saw him bring her healing and at the same time we saw this man Jairus come to him and go my daughter is sick and not well and then the daughter die and what does Jesus do he shows up and he speaks to her and invites her back into life and we saw that there's power in his name there's power in his body right and then we looked at real briefly the story of the same thing that he told tell them not to tell the story of don't tell anybody what happened when uh, the little girl who died came back to life and i'm i'm guessing it's because there's a better story he wanted them to tell and because there's a better story of jesus defeating death but this time it wasn't the death of a little girl or someone's son it was the death of himself and uh he died brutally on a cross and put back in the tomb and then a couple of days later comes back to life and he starts appearing to his disciples and he's still teaching and he's showing them and he's speaking about it and he's bringing about this new world order where literally he, he kind of transfers this and transitions to this way by which it no longer is a slow creep to a massive plunge. It's now been a slow creep to a massive launch. And in both places, both what the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 8 with this little girl and where it told us in Luke chapter 24, he tells them to stay until something happens. And what he says, really, really important. He says, you stay there till you receive my power. Really, really important, guys. When you receive my power, that's what you sing the song. There's power in the name of Jesus. And it literally is the word dunamin or dunamis. And it literally is the same word for dynamite, which is such a beautiful illustration for this. If you think about a piece of dynamite, this massive set, and you have this long fuse, right? Long fuse. Slow creep. And he says, you're going to receive my power. And in that moment of ignition, and everything changes. And he tells us in the scriptures, what it tells us in the Jesus storybook Bible is Jesus came to make everything sad 
untrue. And so if that can happen 2,000 years ago, it should certainly happen for us. And so what I want you to see today is just the importance of this. Power. Power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the kingdom of God. And some of us as a pastor, sometimes I feel uncomfortable talking about this because I can't quite explain it. And so it's easy to try to just explain the things I know to explain, but in that we're just missing something so significant. So what I just would ask for you in these moments is that you would just consider that maybe this is true. Maybe this is the way that it all changes is with this power. So how would that power change us and change our world? And really, really important that you understand this. It's this thing called transference. That somehow what Jesus came to do 2,000 years ago was to usher in his kingdom and usher in his power and usher in his might. And he came to give us that power. The same power that conquered the grave is now available to us. And so this is what I want you to imagine. Remember, new territory in you before new territory through you. But they kind of coexist together. And here's why. Because this transference of power, I want you to think of it like a conduit. Like it's easy to think about like electrical pipes. But another way to think of it would be like a hose. And so like, I'm going to show you this. There's this, this hose. I don't know if you know about these hoses, you know, that as seen on TV ones. They can, like, get really, really small, and they can fit in a little bucket. But when I fill this thing up right on one end, I attach it to the, the, the water faucet. This thing that can fit in this little bitty area can go to 100 feet, right? But there's two really important parts. First of all, the faucet has to be on. Water's got to go in. But in order for this to grow and be used appropriately, the other side also needs to not be closed. You got it? You understand me? So the way by which a conduit works, the conduit just attaches to the source and then allows the source to run through them. So it's got to go in you and through you. So let's think about this. So if you're imagining, like, what happens when you try to run super powerful things through something that uh, has just one end? Let's think about energy in you, right? That stuff, food, comes into you right? But there is no exit strategy for the waste that comes with it. What happens? It does real damage to you. If you're trying to send something with all the power and all the might into a place that has no exit strategy, has no exit strategy, it first gets fat and bloated, and then what happens next? It, it explodes. It has no other option. So this is really, really important for you to understand. Jesus loves you, and Jesus has a real plan for you. And there's a real power he wants to send into you. But the purpose of sending it into you is for one day it to go through you. So if you have no plan of allowing it to go through you, he's too gracious to put it in you because it will destroy you. Right? So the way by which this power, this transference happens is Jesus offers it. But there is this strategy that the purpose of the conduit is not to contain all the power and get all the benefits. The purpose of the conduit is to allow that power to go into it and then through it. So as we start imagining how the kingdom of God works, we see that Jesus goes, you're going to be clothed with my power, right? And this is why we've talked about that the important part of this is this is a new territory in you, right? He wants to change your identity. And then as your identity changes, it actually changes your activity, right? And what so many of us got this wrong, we think we got to be Christians and behave well, which means we got to do all the right stuff. But we're going, there's just no power in that. And what you've done is you've, you've started with the activity. I've got to do all the Christian things before Jesus has given you a new identity. So Jesus speaks into you, changes your identity, and as that changes, then your activity also changes. So really, really important. The way that the kingdom of God is going to invade our world in 2000, the way that, uh, 2021, the way by which it happens is actually through his power. But the way by which his power comes is through his people in you 
but through you. And so we see this happen. Finally, these 12 disciples, Jesus is about to power them up. We're going to see it go into them. But then we're going to see it go through them. So the very next verse from what we read last week, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, here's what it says. And he called the 12 together. These are the first 12 followers, a bunch of broken people. He spent about a year and a half serving people, healing people, teaching people. And so they've just had this real massive training, like on the ground, you know, right with Jesus training. And he called them together. See what it says next? And he gave them power and authority. That means not only do they have the power, they have the responsibility and the ability. What is the power for? Over all demons, all evil spirits, over anything that creates oppression in our world. Jesus said that he came to bring freedom to those who are oppressed. So he literally goes, hey, here's how this is going to happen. I want you to see a picture of it. Here's how we, here's how we break the system. He gives us his power. Us, that's you and me, his power. As Christians, that's that's what this is about. We've got to figure out how does this go through us. If you're not a Christian, you got to go, how does this get into me? All that right now. So he gives them power and authority over all demons. You see what it says next? And to cure diseases. That this word diseases literally means chronic and terminal, meaning something that has no hope, that there is no solution for. Right? So this is really interesting because we can think about the, the diseases in our body, but we also can look at the, just the disease of our world, the lack of forgiveness and hatred and vitriol where there just seems to be no hope. And Jesus empowers his people, and he goes, I give you power and authority to go and deal with the souls of people, the souls of a nation, right? And not just to the people, right? Not just deal with the, the spiritual forces, but also anything else that's happening with the body and all those things. He goes, I give you power to deal with those things. You see what it says in verse 2? And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. See that? So he splits them up. We know this in Matthew and Mark, or Mark particularly. He splits them up in pairs of two. Really important to have community, and we're going to spend a lot more time over this over the next several weeks. They're not really important to spend a lot of time talking about the community piece here, but he splits them up in pairs of two, and he sends them out. And what does he do? He sends them out to do what? Speak. Proclaim literally means to speak out loud. You see, this is so strange. How does the kingdom of God get ushered into our world? Through his people, through the conduit. And what is their job? to speak and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's why we got to get better about talking about the goodness of who God is in your life, right? All the good things. we got to learn to go, man, isn't God great? Isn't he gracious? There's very few conversations that can't lead to that, just pointing to, I can't believe how good God is in my life. i got food in my pantry, clothes in my closet. i got community. i got all these things, and God is just really good. The kingdom of God is available and active in my life. we got to get better about speaking it. Not in this weird bullhorn trying to get people to change their behavior. None of that. But in this, the God of the universe is speaking and active in every good thing in your life, the scriptures tell us. It's from him. So go proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That word heal literally means that which is broken. It's the opposite of peace. So go and bring peace. Usher in completeness. And the way that you do it you speak about it. And as you speak about it, you bring about it. And I'm convinced that the majority of Christians in 2021 don't believe or understand that this is the way that the kingdom of God is ushered in. Through speaking 
through speaking it, right? So we've got to get better about speaking how good God is. So kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. So no extra clothes, no food, nothing. What in the world is he doing? Really pretty simple, guys. Remember, they and we are the conduit. We're just the conduit. You're just the conduit. You're just the hose, right? You don't, in fact, if you want to put food and other things in the hose, what are you actually doing? You're just clogging it up. So he's going, no, no, no. The thing is, it's about my power. It's about my transference. It's about this miraculous power that I give you. And so if it's my power, you're not supposed to provide for yourself. And this is what I tell you, and I want, to hear, want you to hear it, particularly for men. One of our big beliefs is that we have to be the greatest provider in the world. That is, if it's to be, it's up to me, right? And the reality is that is not the number one objective we have to model to our families and to our kids. The number one objective you have is to model faith, right? It's not just your hard work and your education that puts money on the table, uh, food on the table and money in the bank and pays your mortgage, right? The God of the universe has given you gifts and understanding. And so we have to give credit where credit's due, right? This is not about what we provide. It's about the power that goes in us and through us. So Jesus goes, look, I just want to make this really clear. This is not about your performance. This is not about what you can do. I want you to go with nothing because if you take something with you, you'll depend on that and you won't get to see my power and you won't see this transference. And so he goes, hey, I want you to take nothing, right? I want you to be hungry, guys. Things I worry about, particularly for us in southern Chester County and, you know, Delaware and even for you guys in Maryland a little bit. Um, what, I, what I do worry about is that life is really comfortable for us and for many years, our objective in life, what we've learned from our families is that the goal is just comfortable and happiness, right? Admit it, that's what we want for our kids. I want my kids to be comfortable and I want them to be happy, right? And so but when we say comfortable, what we're really saying is, I don't want to depend on anyone for anything other than myself. So he's going, look, I don't want you to depend on you. And so he sends them out with nothing. And whatever house you enter is what he says in verse 4. Stay there. And from there depart. This is really neat and really interesting because two things are happening now. He's about to move his power through them. But what he's also doing in this moment is he is affirming that his power is real. Right? They literally, this is weird because none of you want to go talk to your, some stranger, go to a house. I mean, what, from best we can tell, this is a, a long trip. This isn't a weekend. It's probably a month or two where they're going to these random houses. You don't want to do that. I definitely don't want to do that. But something changes when you're hungry. When you haven't had food in a while or you have no shelter, you become a little more open to knocking on doors. Right? And so they were hungry. They needed to see God at work. They needed to see his power. And so one of the things I love about the culture we're in right now is there's just this free fall. And a lot of us are hungry going, God, we really need to see you at work. Like, we really need to see you, Lord. Would you please show up? Would you please do something, right? It's in those moments of deep dependence where things change. And uh, just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm terrible at that. I was raised, like many of you, to work really hard, work more than everybody else, show up earlier, stay later, do more than anyone else, do all the work, and something happened to me that made me really, really independent and really isolated in independence. And just one of the things the Lord's teach me right now is just the power of community and the power of leaning in. And 
acknowledging that I don't have all the solutions. In fact, I've alluded to this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but uh, two weeks ago yesterday, so the day before Palm Sunday, I coached a couple of basketball t- games, and we, are, we, got, we, got a, we got beat pretty bad. So I was a little discouraged by that. So I'm like, I don't know how to help these kids. What do I do? That can't be fun for them. And so I was a little bit down anyway, and I came home, and I was like, I think I'm going to rest for a while, but I saw that it's going to rain a lot on Sunday, so I thought I'll go and at least get the yard ready for rain. So I was putting out seed and um, fertilizer and all those chemicals in the yard, right? And, and I had these bags of what I was doing because I just was in a hurry. I was grabbing the bags, and I was just grabbing the seed and just throwing it out, throwing it out, like the sower thing, right? Just throwing it out, throwing it out. And so I did that for about 20 minutes, and I came inside, made me some crystal light, and I grabbed some almond, uh, salt and vinegar almonds. Really, really like those. And I uh, cut on the TV and to watch uh, Loyola Chicago play. It was still during March Madness, and I just was eating enjoying the day and about 20 minutes into it I'm just sitting there I go to get my drink and I can't I can't pick up the drink guys like my hand I can't open it I can't move it like I can't do it and I go okay maybe maybe it's something wrong with my hand I don't know I've had some sciatic pain I wonder if it's just more neuropathy stuff you know and so I go okay and so I go to get it with my left hand and I can't I can't grab the drink in my left hand either and so I'm laying down so I think I'm going to try to sit up and I can't move my legs can't move them so I'm just sitting there, and I can't move anything. Like, it's just, like, I can't, my brain cannot tell my body to work. And all of a sudden, I felt this, like, massive constriction, like pain going up my arms, running down my back, all in the back of my head. And I am, I mean, I'm freaking out. And I'm just, I'm, I'm not, like, I just, I just don't think about those things. Like, I don't worry about those things. Like, I grew up in a family that didn't lock doors. We didn't have insurance. We just go, ah, God's got it, right? And so I've just never been one to ever kind of freak out in terms of medical stuff. But I was, I was really, really worried. I'm going, I don't know what to do. And I go, okay, maybe I just need to lay down, but I can't, and I can't think, and I can't move. And so what I did is I grabbed the um, phone, because Julie was in the backyard with the kids, and talking to our next-door neighbor, who's a nurse, by the way. And I called her, and didn't get her, and then she called me back, and I was like, hey, I, I think you got to come in here. Something's really wrong. And I said, I think it's either a stroke or a heart attack, right? Just one of the two. And so she comes in, and the nurse comes in, our next-door neighbor, Maureen, who's just so gracious. And it, it, uh, we conclude that something's really wrong, right? And we, I call 911, and we get the ambulance there. And, I mean, I've just never done something like that, right? Like, I've never been in a spot where I, I would have been like, I'll just drive. I'll do those things. And, and I couldn't do anything could not do anything guys and just was helpless just helpless right (laughs) for the first time really I invited some people in to kind of uh, comment on my health and what needs to happen and so they uh, they strapped me to a stretcher they put me in the back of an ambulance and they drive me down to Jennersville and rush me into the emergency room and they come and they're doing all sorts of things EKGs and I don't all sorts of different tests I got stuff strapped all to my body and and, I so just, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking absolute devastation. What's going on with my family? What's going on? And just was just helpless, right? And as they started doing more stuff, what they determined, and so it actually worked out okay. So when I say I learned to wash my hands, um, the, the fertilizer is really, really toxic. You guys know that. You're smarter than I am. And you should wash your hands after uh, putting them out. And by the way, you shouldn't use your bare hands to put it out. And I'm just so prideful and arrogant, and I'll just take care of it don't really worry about those things, whatever, you know, just lack of humility of not realizing that pain and sorrow can come right into the middle of my home, right? And so what they determined, two things, is that um, the 
that they did, you know, they had me do a toxicology screen, all kind of stuff, and two things were in there. One, they determined that it was um, some kind of neurotoxins that shut down my brain. And the other one they did point out is, hey, what didn't help in terms of it creating panic and anxiety for your body? What's well, caffeine? Hey, Josh, do you drink any caffeine? You know, a little. Well, how much is a little? I don't know, a little amount do. Well, how many ounces do you think you've had today? I don't know. Let me think about it. Uh, I mean, what's a gallon? I don't know what a gallon is. So a gallon and a half, like 160 ounces, and they're going, well, that's not very good for you. And, they're go- and I'm like, and I was super dehydrated. They had to, like, run all these fluids through my body. And, and I'm going to I don't, that make any sense to me because I drink so much, you know? Like I, and they're like, you know, that stuff doesn't hydrate you in that way, right? You guys know that. Boy, you've all been helpful in uh, offering commentary on my Diet Mountain Dew drinking. And, but in that moment, like, two things just kind of popped up. And the reason I tell you this is it's amazing how things change so quickly. And amazing how you need community so quickly in moments of devastation, right? I needed my nurse next door. I needed to invite her into my house and just kind of go, I am broken right now. Needed the paramedics. Needed physicians. All those kind of things. Needed community around me in moments where I'm not, I don't have my, what I believe are my superpowers, right? The ability just to make stuff happen. And what I just would argue here for us, real quick as we think about the next sermon series, is community is just really, really important. And I would just offer that it's probably important you get it before you need it, right? And so it's okay to be helpless. It's actually really great to acknowledge that, it, that you're not really as capable as you want other people to think you are, right? Because this is not about our power. This is not about our capabilities. The whole story of the gospel is that you're really not that capable, and you really can't fix yourself, and you're really not as good as you want to pretend you are. That's the whole story of the gospel is that while we were sinners, we could not fix us Christ died for us. So we just gotta, we gotta kind of acknowledge our need for his power and acknowledge our need for community. And so Jesus splits them up in pairs and he sends them out and he takes away everything that they would lean into. And so what I don't want for you is that the way that Jesus teaches you the lesson, like he's taught me over the last year, is that he's going to take away the things that I've leaned into, all the idols that I've thought were the things, all my performance, all my duties, all the good I did for other people, so if I ever need to cash in a favor, whatever those things are, just kind of rip those away. And so I just go, can't we just start with just this emptiness? And see, we don't like empty. But you see, that's the point of conduits. The way that power runs through you is that first the hose is empty. In fact, it's the stuff that's got to get out of the hose so the power can run through it. Empty is not a bad thing. Empty is where you cut on the faucet and fill up the cup, right? And so what we see is we see these guys that are emptied of all their stuff. <laughs> like I feel like the Lord's going, Josh, I just want you empty because you are so arrogant to think that it's you that's doing the work. I just want you empty. The last 15 months about just been emptying every nook and cranny. Okay, Lord, I can't even power myself with Diet Mountain Dew. I need to be emptied by that. By the way, I haven't had one in a couple of weeks. You, please don't clap or any of that kind of stuff. So doing those things. I'm having a little bit of tea in the morning. No, 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 it's fine. Right? Look, I, there's nothing wrong with Diet Mountain Dew. But I want the best chemicals a man can make, right? The, uh, aspartame is glorious. Kind of joking. But anyway, so the whole idea is that God sent them out and it says, hey, when you go there, you go there empty. You go there looking for me to fill up the situation so you walk in and whatever house you enter, stay there and just be filled. Let this power run through you. And then wherever they do not receive you, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. 
It's a testimony against them. Like, this is interesting because in Jewish culture, when they would go to pagan, they'd go through Samaria, other places, part of the thing that they would have to do to deal with just the, the broken, evil spiritual forces that are in our world is they would, they would go through this ritual of literally shaking it all off. And it goes, well, we don't really do that. Well, you should. There's so much trauma on our lives. There's so much junk we have seen on TV. There's so much that has happened to us as little ones and as big ones, right? That there is something real about just shaking off whatever that oppression is. And so Jesus is going, look, wherever, wherever you don't receive my power, wherever there's not a, a clear pathway of that power to run in you and then through you, if it's going to get on the other end a big blockage, just leave. And go to a place where it can be received. Have eyes that see and ears that hear. And a heart that is walking with the Spirit. In verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages. Preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. See that? And healing everywhere. In other words, they went through the villages. They started speaking about it. And what happened? Healing happened everywhere. This is really important. This isn't because they gave them medicine. It wasn't because they were doing surgeries. Do you understand this? This is... it's so beyond the way that we think in our world because we've got we to understand what that's like. We've got to know. God, I don't understand how you do the healing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't understand how to use what's going on with your iPhone either, but you still use it, right? You don't know all the inner workings of all the different stuff inside there and the different processors, but you still open it up every day and you FaceTime. You don't know what's going on there, but you still do it, right? Because it still works. I'm going, we've just said, ah, I don't think that's how it works. No, the Bible is clear that you hear about it. You think about it. And as you speak about it, guess what happens? It brought about healing everywhere. Now, verse 7. Now, Herod, the teacher, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had raised, uh, uh, John had been raised from the dead. Right? So Herod, this guy, I'm bringing him up here just so I got a little bit more room. This is the teacher, meaning he is not, oh, yeah, let's sit right here, buddy. Um, he's not the, uh, he's not over all of, like, uh, uh, all the Israelites. He's just over a couple of the redneck, uh, states galley and so teacharch he's over one fourth of it and he hears what's happening and he's not real happy because this healing is happening and remember his goal is he wants to be over everything and so anything that's happening an empire that's messing up his chances of being over with everything he wants it to stop and he is confused because he thought this guy john the baptist was his problem right john the baptist is the one that told him he shouldn't uh date or marry his niece and sister-in-law right really really important he goes ah that's not really good and he does it anyway and then his niece and his sister-in-law who becomes his wife has a stepdaughter his stepdaughter who he's also a little smitten with she does a little dance for him and he goes i'll give you whatever you want up to you know half my kingdom pretty pretty significant she goes i want head so she he literally cuts off his hand he's like wait what happened i told him that we stopped this movement because john was thinking about these things and hear about it and tell people to repent for the kingdom of god is near he started talking about that. And it didn't go well for John, but it went glorious for John. And I promise you, as believers, one day you'll get to hear from John himself about how glorious it was. God did not meet his expectations, but it was better for him. And John literally goes to the death proclaiming this goodness. And here, oh, but I thought we got to stop him, right? That he was like, wait, did John come back to life? Because that would be really bad. Sorry, Herod, it's going to get worse than that. Right? In verse 8, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So they're all hearing about this. 
Other people are speaking about it, and they're all thinking about it. They're thinking wrong about it, but they're going, what in the world is this? There's something beyond what we know because there's this power going through people that it should not go through. Like there's just this wide open fire hose and this hydrant is just pouring out healing over all the villages. And they're going, what is that? Oh, it's got to be something. In verse 9 here, it said this. John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. See this? Man, we're so close. And yet so far away. Herod hears about this. See that? He hears about these things. And then it said, and he sought to see, I'm oh, sorry about that, he sought to see him. In other words, he started to think about these things. He literally started to think about these. He was so close. Boy, was he so close to repentance. Could he in that moment have just paused and go, I can't explain that. What if there's a God who is Lord and he came as a human to walk amongst us? Like he is so close, guys. He was so close, so close to having this whole repentance and being ushered into the kingdom of God. But his arrogance and his hardness would not allow it to happen. I'm going, please, please, please. I beg you not to walk into these stories with contempt to go, I just don't see how that happens. Listen, we're talking about this 2,000 years later. In fact, one of the ways that we're talking about it is a guy who actually lived that experience. He was one of the 12 who was sent out. His name was Peter. And Peter, as he's living in the kingdom, boy, does he make some mistakes. He tries to take care of things himself. He tries to lord things himself. He tries to do all those things. But Peter, 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 finally gets to the point where he just opens up and goes, God, would your power go into me and through me? And he becomes kind of the leader of the first century church. In fact, Catholics would argue that they believe Peter was the first pope, right? This guy is significant in history, super significant. Why? Not Because he was arrogant, like Josh, right? He believed he didn't need anything. He actually told the Lord that he would never fail him. And then while Jesus is being murdered, he literally turns his back and curses at the people and says he doesn't even believe in Jesus. He's not one of his followers, but then something happens and Jesus shows back up and offers him grace and love and goes, Peter, I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to go and love and allow my power to go through you and feed the people who I love. And so Peter sets out on this journey to lean in to this gospel power, to speak about it. Right? In fact, they start to have these moments, like at Pentecost, where people are going, what is this? And they start to consider it. And what does Peter do? He stands up and he speaks about it. And as he speaks about it, the, the spirit of the living God is starting to land on people of all nations and tribes. And something, the power is closing them as Peter is speaking about it. And then he continues to go and do the work of ministry. Not by his power, not by his mind, but uh, Jesus is through him. And he writes letters to the first century Christians who are living in chaos, trying to figure out what to cling to. And so Peter writes this one. First Peter, one of the first letters he writes, chapter 4, he's just explained that Jesus, Jesus proved he was God and actually suffered a terrible death. He paid the price we deserve to pay and gave us the life that we don't deserve to live. Right? And then in First Peter 4, he says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions 
but for the will of God. So he's going, here's what's happened. You've experienced a free-for-all. Josh, you've experienced all your idols that you didn't even think were idols, like independence and comfort, and they were slain. So hey, don't go back to those idols. Don't cling to those things. You've experienced losing that stuff. You, over the last year, have experienced losing a lot of stuff. You've had to make lots of decisions about what matters and what doesn't matter. There's been all sorts of things, and a lot of you have relinquished the, the false belief of control. Right? And so he's going, hey, since that's happened, you no longer have to live for human passions, but now you can live for the will of God, meaning his power in you and through you for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And he's going to explain what it looks like to live in the free fall, right? The Gentiles are the ones who had no experience of God, didn't believe in God and his power, right? And a living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry he's going the culture is broken right and you're going yep yep i agree the culture is broken but this isn't now you go grab your bullhorn and go screaming at the culture right they don't have the spirit of the living god in them how would that change so this is what he says in verse four with respect to this they're surprised when you don't join them right they're like why wouldn't you jump in the middle of this current and this stream come join us why because it will lead to ruin and destruction right Join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. That's real, guys. That's real. The language you use is being attacked. The beliefs you have are being attacked, and it's strange and weird. Like you, it's now like when you say, I'll be praying for you, a lot of people will like take shots at you. Like, why do you believe in that fairy tale God? Right? Like there's just this real oppression so he's going hey why would you jump in that current you have lost out of that you've gotten out of the water and now you're moving upstream with the power of the spirit but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead this is really important i certainly hope those words don't make you happy i hope they crush you i hope god breaks your heart for that and i go yeah they'll get their justice but for the grace of God, guys, right? Like, how would they know any better? The scriptures go, who, in Romans 10, like who, how would they know if someone doesn't actually tell them this, right? Not with a bullhorn. He's going to tell us how to do it, verse 5, but they will give an account, verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached, even those who are dead. He's going, this is why even those who are before us, in the middle of this mess, in the middle of these culture battles, this was preached to them. He's talking about the, the ones who walked with Jesus in heaven. Now he's going, this is why this good news went out, because there is a plan, and there is power, and there is restoration, and people needed to know about it. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit. Really, really important, this word spirit. The word pneuma literally means breath. I would say God's breath. So they live, they might live in the spirit. You're going to be clothed with this power. How does God bring in this power? He breathes in through his spirit, right? Clothed in the power, right? So might live in the spirit the way that God does. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. 2,000 years they've been saying that. I don't know what that means. But for the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's what he's saying. Guys, lean in. Don't numb yourself. Please lean in. Don't find an escape. Please lean in because you are, this is so overwhelming and it will be overwhelming as long as you try to do it in your power, but please 
Don't just make yourself numb. Don't be sober-minded. And it says this, for the sake of you. You see that? Prayers, really, really important. The word prayers there means to exchange wishes, meaning please, please don't escape. Please don't go to that bottle. Please don't go to that computer screen. Don't lean in. And when you want to, in other ways, lean the other way. Look towards Jesus. Go talk to Jesus. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And that word literally means to exchange wishes. Hear the word exchange? That doesn't mean you just tell God your wishes. He tells you his. How beautiful would it be if we start to hear that? That's the conduit, the power of God going in you. So what are his wishes? Let me just show you the first one. Verse 8, Peter wants you to know what God's wishes are for you. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So here's what he's saying, a grumbling. He says this, look, I want you to see it. First thing, want to know his wish? Very simple, verse 8. Keep loving one another. Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Got it? That doesn't mean tolerance. In fact, it's so weird. We love that word tolerance. I'll tell you, I do not want my wife to tolerate me. That's not a good experience. Right? It's love. And sometimes, speaking the truth and grace and love is important as long as the person listening knows that you love them well. And how do you know when it's time to do that? They'll invite you to speak. They'll give you permission there. I promise you they will. If they're looking for help, they will come to you. And this is so important. People always, hear me, hear me, always return to the last place they felt loved. That's why our church is going to continue to do the things we do, love our community, serve our community. Not just that we'd be a cool church, or not just for stewardship of our space. It's because at some point, everybody's going to be in that free fall. And no one's going to know where to look or go. And they're going to go, God, if you're real, Right? And so they're going to return. The same way the prodigal son returned to the last place they felt loved, and we're going to be a place that loves them, that invites us in to speak the kingdom of God into them. So how do you know it's time to speak those things? They'll ask you to. So right? So it says, love one another. And it's really, really important here because it covers a multitude of sins. This is so important. Our world is filled with sin and brokenness just like you and I are. How does it get covered? Love. And grace, compassion, and mercy. Holding true to God's word for your own life. Letting that power go into you and through you. You are not the bullhorn. You're not the one behind it speaking. It's God. Every single day, every single Sunday, I'll sit back in my office right here, and I pray the same prayer. God, would you please, would you, I'm just an instrument here, God. Would you please be the one who plays whatever it is with your breath go through that right like so this isn't about you changing or fixing or controlling the idea of the conduit is you're not the one at work right i don't even believe you're the one pointing the hose it's god's power and his spirit through you so love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another that word hospitality actually has this interesting that has philo xenos so really important there the love is like philadelphia this brotherly life and it literally means xenos means stranger so the same thing, how do we get sent out? It's like you love the strangers. Wherever you go, you show hospitality to strangers, right? You meet their needs, you make them food, you care for them, you cut their grass, right? You pay for the drink, you let them over in the car line. Like all those things are not because you can fix things, but it's God's power running through you. So show hospitality to one another. Whoever speaks, oh, I'm sorry, verse 10, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another. As God's stewards of God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is it. Okay. First guy wants to sink new territory in you. 
Then he wants to take your territory through you, and this is the beauty of it. Not everybody's water hose is the same, guys. God is so gracious and so kind that he has put us with different gifts and different skills, and they all matter. This is so important, so important, because if you still have a pulse right now, if you're still breathing in right now, this means God sees your gifts, and he's given those to you to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied. That means like a, like a color spectrum, a rainbow of grace. This is God's different, unique grace for all of us. And so we got to figure out what that is. And so how do you figure out what that is? It starts really simply. It starts with just opening up the faucet and go, Spirit of the living God, would you fill me with your dunamis power? Like, would you set that fuse and would you just light me on fire? This one, I, love, I love John Wesley practically, the, you know, the Methodist. He has all sorts of pithy statements like, do the most good you can and the most ways you can, all the time you can for all the time, or something like that. And another one he talks about is he says, if you set, uh, set yourself on fire, if you set a man on fire, people will come for miles to watch him burn. Could that be the kind of power that comes into us? Could you invite that kind of power that God would just fill you and ignite you with a white flame, hot, holy reverence for the God of the universe. Imagine having God filled you with that to the point where you couldn't help but let it overflow. Verse 11, whoever speaks. See this? We're just going to get back to it. I'm not making this up. You hear about it. You think about it. Then you speak about it as one who speaks oracles. That literally is the same root word as logos, or, or the word. This is meaning divine communication from God. Not only does God want you to hear about it and think about it, the way that he cuts the false on, he puts it into you, and he speaks his words through you, right? So the word of Christ goes into you, takes new territory in you, and then out through you. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. See that? Whoever serves, serves by what? The strength that who supplies? God. It's just opening up the faucet. It's his strength that runs through you. Could we believe these things? That we just open up the faucet and God pours out his strength in and through us. And we get to the end of the day and go, how did that happen? That wasn't me. That wasn't my plans. Like, could we walk in the spirit of that way? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of all this? It's his power. You're just the conduit. It's for his power to run through you into the people he loves so that he gets the credit and the glory. Let your light so shine before men that people can see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. It's all for his glory. But until we see him as good and kind and loving, we don't even care if that runs through us. Could God break our heart to see him in that way? To him. I belong glory and dominion forever and ever. You, whenever you see that, it's kind of just an affirmation that it's a double thing going, pay attention to this, and then look what amen is on top of it. Meaning, this is important that you pay attention to these things. Literally, that word amen and that deal is like an emphasis marker. Introduces a statement of pivotal importance. So why is all this the case? Because God wants the glory. He wants people to turn to him, love him, and be loved by him. So everything that's happening in our world right now, this free fall, God wants the glory for the restoration and radical reversal of our nation and of our lives and of our families and our community. And he wants the credit for it. So what do we do with this? What do we do with it? What do we do with this faucet? Like, and it's, it's actually pretty simple. 
Like it is probably the simplest application we've had in a while. We open it up and we invite it in. This is why it's so beautiful when you think about communion and how we get to do this today, right? So if you have these things, I want you to grab them and the band's going to come up and prepare with a song that we're going to sing and declare and believe as we got here, right? But the interesting thing is Jesus as he's now showed his power to those 12 people, and they've come and go, God, this is crazy. Like, literally, it worked. You ran through us and it changed everything. He's going, ah, don't, don't, don't celebrate that. Instead, celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Celebrate that you are known and loved by the Creator God. And so he would point on that. But right before he's about to die, right before, you know, we're 40, 40 days out from 50 days, 60 days out from God ushering in his power. And he shows them how that gets into them. How they do it. And he literally says, hey, I need you to know this. And he, and he took us the, this, this last meal they were having together called the Last Supper. And he took a piece of bread. You got to be careful peeling this top part off. We'll get back to intention at some point, guys. I just don't know when. And he took this. And he said something so interesting. He said, this is my body broken for you. Or, this is my body for you. Paul clarifies the brokenness later. This is my body for you. Meaning, your job in this is not to punish yourself. Your job is not to beat yourself. Your not, job is not to do all sorts of penance. Your job is to receive my covering and my power. And so he goes, you want in on it? Hey, guys, you want the faucet open? It starts with communing with one another in this moment and with God. So would you take his power and take his covering? As often as you do this, Jesus says, do it in remembrance of me. Would you join me? Then he took a cup. Kind of showed it and pointed it out. And he said, hey, guys, this, is, this represents my blood. That was shed for you. This is so important. Because we know this in, like, human history and how wars happen. The way by which new territory is taken is always, it's so broken, but it always, you can go back to any and all nations and their establishment, any and all empires and their establishment. You know how every single one of those territories were taken? Shed blood. Every single one of them. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to be taking new territory too, guys. And that territory is going to be in you because I want to take that territory and make you whole and then I want to use you to take new territory into the kingdom but it's not by your shed blood it's by mine he says you, you want to allow me to take new territory you want to open up the faucet take receive my covering drink of the cup would you join me and as often as you do this do it in remembrance of the God of the universe and his kingdom and his power. So would we not just see this as a cute little ritual once a month? Could we see it as inviting the power of the living God to come into us and then go through us? And so we're going to do else. We're going to, we're going to declare that goodness. We're going to say over and over again, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. But it doesn't live in us just so you have a nice fun time. It lives in you so it can work through you. This is what it looks like to be sent, to walk in his power. Would you join me as we sing this together? Would you stand? Thank you, guys.
give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs> and so I just want to send you off with this um, same message from our song, the same power that lives in Jesus, the same power that rose him from the grave, this, this massive, awesome power. It lives in us. We have that power. We have that authority. And so um, just as we go out, in our days, in our weeks, the rest of today, the rest of the week, until we see each other again next Sunday, I just encourage you to just um, embrace that power and that authority that, that Jesus has given us. And so I encourage you to take that, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a good day. I will